I need your help. I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask me about it later, and we're going to hurt some people. Who's car we going to take? Okay, folks, just a quick announcement to begin with. For seminars this year, all of 2021 seminars will be held in Wichita Falls. So if you're holding off, waiting to see if we open up another city, uh, that's just not going to happen this year. Fortunately, you get to come visit Wichita Falls, the jewel of North Texas, where we have blue skies and golden opportunities. Next seminar up is going to be February 5th through the 7th. We have four or five spots left for that. After that, it'll be April 16th through the 18th, and then June 11th through the 13th. We've added a few camps to the list. We have a coaching development camp covering the Power Clean in Houston at Starting Strength Houston. That's going to be on March 6th. We've also added another squat and deadlift camp in Tampa on March 6th. And then a nutrition camp has hit the list on March 13th in Houston at Starting Strength Houston as well. And along with that, Testify Strength and Conditioning in Omaha is having their plethora of meets, including a strength lifting meet, some USA weightlifting meets, and a strongman meet. Check out the website for more details. Starting Strength Gyms are opening and operating where you can come in and work with a coach for less than 30 bucks a session. We continue to add cities to the list. We're also hiring for multiple coaching positions and head coaching positions. And you can find out more information about all of that at locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more details and information on anything that I've spoken about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. It's Friday, and uh, that's all I'm going to say. It's Friday. I know you were expecting more, but I'm not feeling good, so I'm not able to be witty. It's Friday, and it's Starting Strength Radio. Then we're going to do a Q&A today. We've collected a big pile of inane bullshit here that you have... Uh, happily submitted to us with no thought whatsoever for the effect that such inanity has on the quality of the finished product. And uh, I, as usual, will sort through this and try to uh, come out on the other side uh, on the end of the show having done something worthwhile despite an absolute lack of help from you. Okay? But first, comments, comments from, from the heaters. Okay. There aren't many good ones today. I don't, don't know if it's because the hate was thin or because... Bree fucked up again, or could be could be a combination of those two things. All right, Stealth Assassin one day says he spent seven minutes explaining the first reason and grip width for a second reason, which is fairly nonsensical. 
I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> what the hell he's done? No offense, but he apparently hasn't spent enough time with a trap bar because you can lift more with a trap bar than a regular deadlift. Rip is just very rigid with his ideals. We can lift more with a quarter squat, too. Or just an eighth squat. You ever seen anybody do eight squats? Oh, yeah. oh I have. Yeah. This guy does eight squats. You can lift a whole lot of weight like yep. that. And he's stronger than me because he's lifting more weights, correct? Right. Yeah. Sure. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Okay, Coolidge says, Mark is literally struggling to breathe. Please go for a run. <laughs> he doesn't know it's the COVID, though. It's not the... It's not the lack of conditioning. Yeah. I think you stumbled onto the truth there when you said he doesn't know. <laughs> Should have just stopped. Just stopped. <laughs> he doesn't know. Period. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fat coaches matter with fist clenching a five pound plate. That's the t shirt. That's the stupidest goddamn thing I've ever heard. <laughs> And then somebody else jumps in. Five-pound plate of fries. <laughs> now there. There. That's a real serious. Sounds really good. Actually. Man. Five-pound plate of fries. Yeah. Sounds real good. A lot of salt. Those fries were good at Ronnie's the yeah, other they day. Were. They <clears throat> Ronnie has good fries. Yep. I don't know how he makes them, but they're pretty good. All right. And West Coast Hiker says, I never knew there were so many different shades of pink until I, until I started watching The Pink Man on YouTube. Thank you, Coach. That's a lot of praise, actually. For you know? Yeah. I guess I ought to be appreciative of that. Yeah, I don't know if that qualifies as a hater comment. That's probably not a hater comment. Yeah. Really. He might be pink, too. Solidarity. <laughs> and that's coming, coming from, from the heaters. Okay, so now that that shit's out of the way... Uh, I guess we'll just start right into the Q and A stuff that or that is submitted, and you of course submit this stuff to radio at startingstrength.com. Radio at startingstrength.com. Right. So. Let me show you what we want to avoid when you send in these things. See this? Wait. 
This is like 2,000 words. I can't deal with 2,000 words. I mean, if you want me to address 2,000 words, that's like a phone call. If you've got that much we to could, write. We send, could schedule. Hey, you got that much to write. Send it as an article. Send it as an article to the website, but I'm not going to sit here and read this. You lost your fucking mind, you know. It, a, it's not going to be that interesting because of where it comes from, right? And B, I mean, I could do like 30 other questions in the period of time it would take to address whatever the hell that point was. Something about Horgan. The first thousand words are his training history or something. The first thousand words are the, the, the author's preface. I'm 63 years old. <laughs> yeah. I'm 63 years old. Anybody that's 63 always tells you they're 60, they 63 years yeah. old. Okay. Uh, here, Wayne is writing in. Mark, when will the state of Texas file secession papers and leave the shithole that this country is becoming? I'm in Kentucky, but will become a citizen of Texas as soon as this happens. I have a bad feeling that this cancel culture bullshit is just beginning. By the way, I enjoy your books and podcasts and are currently getting my old ass back to training. Well, good, Wayne. Uh, I don't know. We got to get a got to get a, a political leader that's capable of following through with this secession thing. I'm I'm for it, as you can see. You know, I've I've been for this for a long time, but it it has assumed uh, priority recently because I don't see how you, how we fix this shit. I don't see how we get I don't see how we get out of this. There's too much hatred, you know, just just naked hatred. Never seen anything like this. How'd you like to have an 84 year old year old woman pissed off at you to the extent that Donald Trump has got this? Nasty bitch all over his ass. My God, something's seriously wrong with these fucking people. Hey, look, you cheated. You beat him. You know, you got all the courts to go along with you. You know, you cheated. You fixed it up so we can't have elections anymore. But they want his head on a pole. In addition to that, and in addition to that, my head on a pole, and your head on a pole, and your head on a pole, and Bree didn't vote, but but they want all of our heads on poles. That's uh, disinformation, and now we are demonetized because big tech also wants our heads on poles. Oh, that's probably true. Yeah, you ought to cut that out. All right. Okay, so anyway... uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, we're working on the secession thing. All right. Now. Uh, dear Pink Nationalist, I've listened to the podcast with Santana, and you have read the blue book to me on Audible once or twice. I'm a novice, and I feel fat. Odds are you'll say I'm not, but I'd like some clarification on nutrition for my situation. My current numbers are as follows. He's 26. He squats 230. He deadlifts 245. He presses 120, benches 145, and he hasn't started power cleaning yet. 
He's 235 at six foot tall. Uh, your, your problem is not your body composition. Your problem is that you're a pussy. You, sir, are a pussy. Look at these ridiculous numbers. He probably does look pretty soft, but a solution. He probably is, does. The solution should be to get his squat to four hundred. He, he, he's a, he needs to quit worrying about his body composition. He says that the bathroom scale says he's twenty four percent. That's always wrong. Uh, Michael, where would you like to see me in terms of body weight? I don't care what your body weight is. I want your squat up to four hundred five. And I don't think you're trying very hard. Uh, Did he say how long he's been doing the program? If this guy's been doing the program two months, and he's got these numbers, he's He's still a pussy. Yeah. Still a pussy. Well, that that was going to be my point of the whole thing. Yeah, I I don't know. He didn't, you know, there's, as is usually the case, you know, important information is missing. I'm sticking by my assessment, though. Right? Try harder. Right? Rip, my total knee replacement surgery is done in August. is healed, and I've been working back into training. My range of motion, however, is up to 25 degrees less on the new knee side. It would appear that I will be unable to squat below or even two parallel because of this would you recommend i resort to box squats at my max effective range of motion or regular squats just as low as i can manage understanding that an excessive knee flexion failure in the prosthetic side can result in serious injury right uh vicky so this is a girl and vicky is uh uh Assuming that a surgery done in August is completely healed right now. And this is this has not been my experience. Uh, I've seen several people come back into the gym with an abbreviated range of motion after a total knee replacement. Uh, in Phil's case, and in Wilson's case, <clears throat> in Phil's case, and in Wilson's case, um, they both started off probably, you know, two inches above parallel, and both of them squat below parallel just fine. Now, it just, but it that took place over a couple of years. So what I would what I would recommend that Vicky do is squat to the box, measure the box down to wherever your range of motion is right now, and just train there for a while. And what you'll notice is that your range of motion slowly over time will begin to increase. And you should be back to a relatively normal range of motion by this time next year. But uh, don't be afraid to challenge it from time to time. I'd work to the box, develop a little confidence in your out-of-the-bottom strength, and look for that to continue to improve over time. You're not done healing up, okay? All right, hey, Rip, how about a discussion on true genetic potential when it comes to strength training in relationship to human evolution and how our ancestors lived for many thousands of years? I contend that a individual's 
true potential is somewhere at the end of novice LP. Let's face it, our ancestors spent their time on survival. Those of them who needed strength developed it by what they were doing. Programming as we know it to add additional strength over time past the end of novice LP surely was not a reality for our ancestors. Maybe somewhere along the timeline when man started to build warrior cultures, armies, etc., did man then try to build on strength past the end of novice LP, but a question is, did they have the technology and knowledge to get into intermediate or elite classes of strength? Uh, Ed asked me this. Ed, have you lost your fucking mind? We can't even get PhDs in exercise physiology to admit that there is such a thing as the novice linear progression right now. Look, the progression of strength that we have stumbled into here is a function of the physiology that has existed in vertebrates for millions of years. It is nothing more than an exploitation of the fact that organisms have the ability to adapt to their environments. That's all it is. It's, you know, and if you push an adaptation, you push an adaptation, you will adapt. You stress it, you'll adapt to the stress. Stress it, you'll adapt to the stress. Uh, Primitive cultures didn't know anything about the novice linear progression. Primitive cultures didn't know anything about intermediate or elite. That was, that's practical programming for strength training, first edition, 2006. That's when that arose. The answer to that question, it's, you, is, you say it in the book, This what, what we're doing is substitute caveman activity. Yes. Your three, three and a half to four hours a week is essentially equivalent to a lifetime of hard physical existence 500,000 years ago. I mean, something like that, right? So, well, I have something to that effect. Probably uh, the the deal uh, five hundred thousand years ago is everybody was Homo erectus anyway. Everybody's way stronger back then, and they died at thirty years old. They got to be maybe thirty years old. 30. They were way stronger than we are because they had to be. They had to be. They had to be, or harder. they died. Existence was harder, right? You know, existence was harder. Uh, so there's no equivalence there. There's, 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 no, no, there's no equivalent. There's no, there's no trying to draw. There's no point trying to draw a parallel between between primitive existence and what we're doing in the gym. There are two completely separate things, and uh, it's a it's an interesting thing to think about. But it's it's just I think you're trying to to draw parallels where there are none. Okay. All right, dear Mister Ripito. Dwayne asks, I thoroughly enjoyed your Texas chili videos. Video. I just did one. Have we done two Texas chili videos? No. Well, there's the... the we had an article, I there, think. There's an article, there, and there's the one Brent made a long Brent, time ago. Brent made one, but he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. It, uh, no idea how to make bro, chili. Bro, the band's from New York. Too? Oh, Grant, so, made, Grant made a shitty version. Grant made a shitty chili video. Where, right, he, where well, he had the propane tank inside, inside of his kitchen. And almost died. 
killed himself with carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide. Yeah, I, we we assume no responsibility for deaths associated with don't use a propane burner cooking incorrectly in the house. All right. All right, so he said that he's followed the instructions. The chili was real good. Could a Texas Cafe Classic Fried Catfish video be forthcoming someday? Uh, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Daddy made catfish on Fridays. But I do not know how to keep the breading on catfish. Now, it seems like it'd be fairly simple, but I don't. You know, my breading's always falling off a of catfish. And it may be because I have tried to fry it in not enough grease and had to turn it too many times. Turning things too many times make the breading fall off. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know that I'll mess with catfish in this thing here. Uh, but, but God knows there's some horrible catfish available for sale all over the place, you know. It's a, it's a bad catfish. is really bad, you know. So I probably won't mess with it. It's just not something I'm interested in. That seems like a uh, oh, I don't know. That's I, you know the best catfish I ever had was when we were out in Virginia several years ago at a at a place. And that was the best catfish I have ever had. We're out there doing a, a seminar. And I have never had catfish that good since. Danielle's place. Yeah, and it was over there about a half mile from her gym. She'd never even been there. Yeah. The best catfish I ever had was at a Carolina barbecue place. They, they know how to cook fat catfish over there, apparently. Carolina barbecue place... Uh, Did they have pork and shit at that? I mean, was it a uh, like a Carolina style barbecue place? I believe it was. Yeah. But we had uh, some fried chicken at a Carolina barbecue place. Yeah. And that was like Mama's yeah. chicken recipe. It was good. Oh my God, it was good. That's much better than battered battered chicken. Because they just <laughs> dust it, right? They dust it and then fry it. Yep. I, yeah. yeah. The wings. Oh man. Oh, they're. Yeah. I'm gonna make that. Yeah. We'll put that on the wanna do my mother's chicken nice. recipe for Texas Cafe Classics and just sneak it in. <laughs> Even though that's not the way daddy made the Nobody chicken. Will. Nobody will know. Especially not these people. Say, am, I le- am I leaving the center? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's Hi, Rip. Up here in Massachusetts, our supreme vegan overlords have banned all meat products. The only acceptable substitute our superiors have authorized is something called Soylent Green. The attorney general up here says it's very tasty. Wonder, wondering if that would be a good substitute for beef in your awesome chili. you imagine having time to... Sent an email. I to, can. It's uh, a guy sitting I, in his cubicle wasting his boss's time. That's what it is. That's exactly He's what it on is. somebody else's clock. Somebody else's time. Somebody yeah. else's clock. All right. 
He got now, paid, he got paid fifty bucks an hour to write that to write some you. stupid ass email to me yeah. about and soil and green. He took the full hour to do it. Yeah, he probably did. Because he, he showed did. all his friends. He's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> send this in. <laughs> soil and green is made of people. <laughs> All right. Now this is what we like there to you see. There go. Look at that. Concision, right? What changes in exercise should you consider changing as you age? Maybe you spoke too soon. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of. So he asks a question, but he leaves the question mark off in the end. See, he's in a big hurry. What changes should you consider changing as you age? I don't Joe doesn't appear to be the most literate participants. <laughs> well, uh, Joe, uh, as you change several things, and we've talked about this at length, several things become different, all right? Uh, one of the things that becomes different as you age is that you are going to lose muscle mass no matter what you do. You can minimize that effect with proper training, uh, but you're going to lose muscle mass. And one of the other more profound things that happens as you age is that your explosive motor units, your type 1 motor units, uh, begin to degrade. You become less and less explosive as you age. There's nothing you can do about this. And as your hormonal profile changes and your robustness changes, you are going to lose the ability to recover as effectively, especially if you're doing high amounts of tonnage. You just can't do a bunch of sets and reps when you're old like you could when you were young. Uh, even when you're young, it's very easy to overtrain with a whole bunch of tonnage. But as you get older, you need to try to stay as focused on lifting the heaviest weights you can, but don't do sets across. You may find that it's much better to switch from fives to threes. You might go down to doubles. Uh, but all of these things um, must be kept in mind. And it just so happens that there's a book about that. What's that book called? Uh, barbell, something about barbell the prescription. The barbell prescription. prescription. The barbell prescription. Training for life over, life over four or something. something. Some arbitrary number. Forty, probably. I would uh, refer you to that book. We have that for sale. Don't we we it do. On the website? It's on the website, right? It's on our website. It's on our website. I think the Asgard Company, as the publisher of the barbell, as the publisher, of does the... in fact sell the book <laughs> right. on its website. Right. There you have it. Okay. Hello, Mark. Do you have any thoughts on doing thick bar training? such as using an axle bar or thick bar attachments, fat grips, iron bull grip force, etc., for things such as chin-ups, deadlifts, and rows. There seem to be a lot of strength coaches that promote this. 
but I wanted to hear your thoughts. Well, I think it's important to get your deadlift real strong. So if you artificially limit your ability to deadlift heavy weights because you have turned your grip into the limiting factor, then you have decided to deadlift light weights. Now, they may feel hard because you can't hold it under the bar, but the minute you put that same weight back on a 28.5 millimeter bar and you can hold on to it, it doesn't feel hard, and you can go on up. Now, let's, let's keep in mind this, this central truth. If your deadlift goes from 315 to 585, what has happened to your grip? It got stronger, right? This is this is interesting to me that people don't why does everything have to be so fucking complicated, you know? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. If uh, if you are, you'll have to agree that a man that can hold on to a barbell loaded to 585 through the full range of motion of a deadlift has got a stronger grip than a man who can hold on to a barbell at 315, right? Everything gets stronger as the deadlift goes up including your grip. And when you do a bunch of specialized grip work, like with fat bars and this sort of thing, uh, yeah, you're going to work the piss out of your grip, but your grip's going to get worked anyway with the heavier weight on the deadlift. That plus the fact that if you fatigue your grip by doing a whole bunch of special grip stuff, like the geniuses at Iron Mind sell, you know, these little squeezy things and everything, get your hands tired. Uh, that takes a while to recover from. I don't think it's been sufficiently appreciated that, that something that fatigues your grip can limit your ability to deadlift for, uh, you know, several days uh, afterward. I remember... Uh, one time I went to a meet a long time ago and I, for some weird reason, I got the, the ingenious notion that I was going to do a bunch of curls on Tuesday before the meet on Saturday. <laughs> right. And I did a whole bunch of curls and shit for the meet on Saturday. And guess what happened on my second attempt deadlift? <laughs> Boom. Couldn't pull it. Couldn't pull it. And at least I was smart enough to understand what I had actually done to myself. Because that's, you, you, your grip takes a while to recover from. And if you do a whole bunch of grip stuff, it's going to interfere with your heavy deadlifts. So just keep that in mind. All right. Now. Uh. This is an extremely complicated programming question here. 
anytime I see these transition from novice to intermediate things, and I, uh, I tend to uh, move those to the other forums. Uh, this time I'm reading the book, Practical Programming. See, before he wasn't reading the book. At my age, she's almost 49. Do I need to lower the weekly volume? Can I continue to benefit from power cleans? Never weighed above 205. Do I need to gain more weight? He's 6'2". He's never weighed above 205. Does he need to gain more weight? I feel like he already knows the answer. I, you know, these are the, these are the kind of questions uh, that you ought to already know the answers to. Uh, he's working his ass off all week, big, long work weeks, uh, manual labor and stuff. No, he, you're not getting recovered. You've never, as a result, never reached the end of your potential on your novice programming. You're not eating enough. You're not heavy enough. You're 6'2", 200. You're, it, this is, no. This is, this is the kind of question... Oh, how do I say this? That you ought to already know the answer to. If you've paid any attention to us raving and screaming about body weight and all this other shit. And you're 49 and it's time that, you know, uh, you either shit or get off the pot with your with your training. Okay. <clears throat> All right, hello, Mark. Here's another programming question. Any, seri any suggestion for overcoming a serious plateau in the bench press? I'm doing fine in the squat and deadlift, but there's been no improvement in the bench for seven months. Damn. I can find plenty of tips concerning accessory exercises, training frequency, and so on. But I'd be curious to know about your general approach to this. Well... My general approach to this is the same as my general approach to everything else. And that is some version of five pounds of workout. All right. Now, when somebody writes in and says that there's been no improvement in the bench for seven months, I, the first question on my mind is when was the last improvement? And if it was seven months ago, and I have no idea what the numbers involved here, but let's say you've got 225 on the bar seven months ago. Okay. I'd like to know what happened when you tried 227. Yeah, like has he been doing 225? Because you've been doing workout? 225 every workout because there's been no improvement in seven months. What, what does that even mean? No improvement in seven months. He comes in, he lifts the same weights every night. Well, that's stupid. No wonder there's been no improvement. Because you have not added two pounds to the bar and benched it. You know? You don't tell me what your body weight is. You don't tell me how tall you are. All you tell me is that you're 47. And that you have not done the program. So, uh, my, you know, the, my approach to 
this kind of a question every time would be, what was the last time you made progress on the bench press and how did you do it? And what happened when you added two pounds the following workout? Oh, you didn't add two pounds the following workout. Well, you kind of missed the point then, didn't you? Okay, here's the guy. Says he completed the LP and then went on to an intermediate program. Then I fractured my collarbone. And it seems it will take 10 to 12 weeks to heal. Any suggestions to train in the meantime? It seems it will take 10 to 12 weeks to heal. How does it seem that it would take 10 to 12 weeks to heal? You think maybe that's just what he was told? I think that's exactly right. I think he was told that it will take 10 to 12 weeks to heal, when in fact it doesn't. Uh, Collarbones and ribs heal real quickly. And the reason is... Uh, uh, collarbones and ribs cannot be immobilized like arms and legs can. Movement along the fracture plane in a fractured bone is what signals the cells on either side of the fracture line to secrete bone mineral and remodel the fracture. The movement is necessary. And as you're aware, ribs don't stop moving. You have a flail chest. You will have movement even in a flail chest because you have to breathe. We don't have the option of immobilizing your rib cage when you break ribs. You just are going to be in a lot of pain for a few weeks, but not that many. Um, Fractured ribs take about three weeks, and that's all. And a collarbone might take three or four weeks. I remember breaking my collarbone when I was a kid, and it was they put you in a little figure eight-looking sling to hold your chest up and back and kind of pull the clavicles apart and hold them in position, and you're supposed to wear that, you know, for three or four weeks. But I, I don't remember that. I had that on more than a couple of weeks. The collarbones, since they move, they heal very quickly. Uh, ribs heal very quickly. A 10 to 12 weeks is not reasonable. That's not, that's not the situation. All right. I think that uh, you probably are going to want to be careful benching for any length of time. Really, a collarbone is going to chop into your training for about three weeks because everything loads the collarbones because everything loads the shoulders. But I think you just take it real, real easy for three or four weeks, and then I think, you know, you uh, slowly start to add the the weight back in, weight back on to the program, and and you'll be healed up pretty quick. This is a... This is, this is an interesting question in that it serves as a reminder to us about how things heal. If you have a broken bone and you completely deload the fractured bone, the damn thing will likely not heal. I remember, you know, Decades ago, they used to put people in traction with broken femurs. 
That's stupid. You know? Vertebrates have been breaking bones for a very, very long time. And uh, we are equipped with the machinery to heal broken bones. You know, let's say you broke your leg 50,000 years ago. And, uh, you know, you had to decide what you were going to do. If you... uh, you broke your leg and you absolutely could not move, then the hyenas ate your ass. Right? Literally. Mm -hmm. Quite literally, they ate you. This served as motivation. Right? For moving. And movement is what heals bones. Load heals bones. Loading tells the, the break that it is broken because without motion across this fracture plane, the Little bone cells being stupid, you know. They're not intelligent like the United States Senate, for example. They don't understand that, you know, there's a break there unless the motion across that fracture plane tells them. And, you know, they see the motion and they start secreting bone mineral and pretty soon the thing's remodeled. Uh, Movement's necessary. You have to load things. And this is true. This kind of guides our approach to rehab in every situation. All right, here Wayne wants to know, where did you find that loony liberal Horgan? (laughs) He doesn't seem to understand that if the government is paying these hospitals X amount of dollars that they're going to invent cases. I'll give you an example. The grandmother of a guy that I work with was 93 years old. She had some sort of health episode in her home. They finally had to call the ambulance. The doctors at the hospital said that there was nothing they could do for her. So they moved her into a hospice residence where she died the next day of natural causes from being old. His sister and her husband went to sign papers, retrieve her belongings, etc. And a member of the staff took them into a room and explained that if they would sign the paper she had in her hand, starting stating that Grandma had died of COVID. All monies due would be null and void. Whoa. Mr. Horgan also doesn't understand that Trump beat China at a trade deal and stopped giving them our money, so they unleashed this virus on the world. As soon as his senile buddy Biden starts giving them our money again, and after he declares a complete national lockdown and mask mandate, uh, this shit will just magically disappear, and him and his fucking liberal buddies won't breathe a sigh of relief because, after all, Joe wasn't a dumbass like Trump. He listened to the science. (laughs) The science. Donald Trump could cure cancer, and the media would deadpan into the camera about what a sorry SOB Trump is for putting thousands of medical professionals out of work. (laughs) Sorry to rant, but people like him really piss me off. Yeah, I know, Wayne. I sympathize, buddy. I sure do. Okay. Okay, 
rip. I'm a novice and fairly new to your program. What shoe do you recommend for squatting? I've tried flat converse, more traditional lifting shoes, and barefoot. So far, barefoot seems to be working fairly well, but not sure if that's something you would advise or not. We don't want to deal with this, do we? I think we have dealt with it. Well, We've dealt with it about for the past 15 fucking years, you know. Same thing. I mean, I've got how many times have we written about this? Answer your question about it on the website. Now, is it that these people? Here's the real question: How do you wander in here, having not read anything we've ever written about anything, and expect us to take a question like this seriously? I think it happens all the time. Yeah, it does happen all He's the time. He's about five YouTube videos in. Maybe just started reading the book. Yeah, that's oh, what it is. Oh, I'll just ask. Yeah. Rip, do you advocate the use of barbell? <laughs> if so, what kind of barbell do would, would you would you suggest I buy? <sighs> I watched your conversation with Chase podcast. It was great. Thanks for doing these. You mentioned a textbook on vertebrate paleo that sounded interesting. Which specific book was it? Online, I see. Vertebrate Paleontology and Evolution by Carol and Vertebrate Paleontology by Benton. Is it one of those or something else? I believe the name of that book is Patterns and Processes of Vertebrate Evolution. And Robert J. Carroll was, in fact, the author. But uh, Yep, that's the one. Robert Lynn Carroll. Robert Lynn Carroll, Patterns, Patterns and, and Processes. Processes of Vertebrate Evolution. That's the one I was recommended to chase. It's an excellent book, and uh, the reason I, I like that book is because uh, Dr. Carroll explains quite thoroughly in this book that contrary to popular opinion, mutations are not the only thing that drives phenotypic evolution. And you have to understand that if this is a subject that's of interest to you. And uh, I would recommend that book. I think it's still in print. I got Chase a copy of it a while back. You can get a used copy but, uh, for 40 bucks. Used copies. It's a textbook, so it's going to be more money. It's 40 bucks for a used one on Amazon. Okay? Let's see. I have a question on breathing or using the Valsalva maneuver on shoulder press, and please give me your opinion. He's 185, 729. He's got a 225 press, a 315 bench, 420 squat, and 485 deadlift. Been doing NLP for six months. I've lifting weights since high school. Started, so it's starting to struggle, increasing my shoulder press for the three. Three sets of five reps for three months. Hit a wall. Started three sets of three. My strength is going up a lot, but recently improvements are getting slower with the press. My greatest setback, or the thing giving the most trouble, is my breathing. For three sets of three, I was unable. I was able to do two hundred five, but when I increased it to two ten, the pressure in my head becomes so great that I can only do one rep at a time and rest thirty to sixty seconds between reps. I tried taking a deep breath on my first rep, but the pressure in my head gets to be too much after the first rep. Okay, now, we've 
we we've been dealing with this recently too. Uh, it appears as though some people do not know how to take Valsalva. Right? If you hold the Valsalva in your mouth, then you will have pressure in your head. Right? Watch. Watch closely. I'm going to get very pink. Right? <laughs> Even your eyes got pink. Right. That's good. That's how the that's the wrong way to do the Valsalva. All right. Here's the right way to do the Valsalva. You'll notice a tremendous difference in these two in these two techniques. If you hold your air in your mouth, then a bunch of things down here that are supposed to be tight are relaxed, okay? You take the Valsalva with your mouth open. You have to learn to hold your breath here, not here, okay? That's your problem. That's You're doing it wrong, and that's why you're doing it wrong. All right. Hello, Rip. I have two questions. I was laid off due to the plague earlier this year and used that as an adult summer vacation. Got very lazy on lifting. Wasn't eating great. Got up to 290 pounds. I'm assuming that's his body weight. I started restarting. I started restarting starting strength about a month ago. I, he actually typed that. I started restarting starting strength. About a month ago. I'm 26, 6'3", 280 now. Since starting again, uh, my squat's 275 for three sets of five. Deadlift's three and a quarter. Bench is 115. Press is 105. Power cleans are 75. These are horrible numbers. All right. For a man, your body weight, these are horrible numbers. All right. These are like you're not trying real hard numbers. What did I say to that guy earlier in the? podcast uh pussy that's what i call it right brie remembered it uh and and assisted chins on my bench days 60 pounds assistance 35 or three sets of five first question what should my ideal body weight be my goal right now is 240 is that the right range i don't know what your ideal body weight is I can't tell that from a, you know, 150-word question on here. Uh, (laughs) Second question, none of my lifts are hard or heavy for me, yet still adding weight every workout. Should I add some sort of exercise on my off days to aid in weight loss? Why don't you add enough weight to not be a pussy? Solves lots of problems. That would solve most of these problems, wouldn't it? You know that All question, right. the the grip, the fat grip question. Yeah. Ninety nine percent of questions are how do I avoid doing hard shit? Yeah. How do I avoid getting my deadlift up to 585? That's what it boils down to. Well, you do a bunch of assistance work. Yep. And that way you don't have to lift heavy weights. You just do a lot of volume. That's what you do.
because volume is necessary. Because volume, you know, light weights lifted a whole bunch of times makes you stronger for heavy weights lifted two or three times. Yeah. Except, except, it doesn't. It doesn't. That's become the solution to everything. You need to lose yeah. weight, more volume. You need to get stronger, more volume. More volume. You need to rehab an injury. Should I do more volume? Well, of course you do. Of course you do more volume. More volume every time. Isn't that amazing? People will buy shit from you if you tell them what they want to hear. Yep. And if they want to hear, just do easy stuff. And you've got something to sell them that tells them just do easy stuff, they'll buy it from you. And everybody's happy. You're doing easy shit, you paid the guy money. Oh, Rip, when training, while in the lowest position of a full squat, is it unadvised to momentarily pause and relax the leg and hip muscles prior to flexing for the drive upward? In the same way as pausing the bar on the chest when training in the bench press. I'm 72 and fortunately have the flexibility to do this without knee or hip discomfort. And I only do this when performing sets of five and never when attempting a single. Uh, I, uh, Rick, I don't, I don't, see anything to be obtained by fixing it so that your squat is artificially lighter because you're removing the stretch reflex from the bottom of the, of the movement. I have never advocated pausing the bar on the chest in the bench press for that same reason. You're supposed to do a stretch reflex. You're supposed to be a balance. The stretch reflex of normal human movement. You are supposed to include that in the squat and in the bench press. Uh, this is in the book. Okay. Rip, eight weeks ago, I started my mature, almost 14-year-old daughter on starting strength, and she improved her three-set, five-rep working weights over eight weeks as follows. Deadlift from 80 to 160, squat from 55 to 100, bench from 45 to 80, and row from 45 to 80. What program is he doing? He's having this girl row. Is that part of our? He's doing the one he found on the internet on Reddit. He's, he's, yeah, he's doing a Reddit version of our program where the, we row, right? We're about to start fast pitch softball season, and I wanted her to maintain this strength throughout the season, and then in the off season, we will start progressive overloading again. How often would you suggest programming a starting strength workout per week to maintain strength during the playing season? Once, twice per week? All right. Uh, all right, here's, here's the deal. Your kid is 14, all right? There is absolutely no reason why, if she eats enough, and she sleeps enough that she cannot continue making strength progress during season. Look, 
Guys, fast pitch softball is not stressful enough to where it's going to interfere with her recovery from her strength training. Now, is it? She's 14. She can recover from all of this if she eats enough. Now, I understand that little kids don't eat, but that's not the fault of the program. That's a parenting issue. Yes, that's that would be your problem. You've got to make the girl eat. But there's not any reason to do an off-season, on-season approach with a novice kid who's 14 years old who's just trying to squat, press, bench press, deadlift. Uh, so you don't have her pressing, doesn't look like. Where did you get this fucked up version of my program? <laughs> Where do you think this came he from? He found the email to email you, but he can't find the... He, he can't find the book <laughs> that has the program in it? I, I see no reason for kids that are in a novice training situation to have to stop training just to devote full recovery time to fast-pitch softball. <laughs> it's not that hard. Okay, Daniel Rodriguez. Hi, Rip. One of my wife's arms is two inches longer than the other. How should she deadlift? Should I have a handle welded to a bar for her? Would a two-inch strap with handle suffice? Suffice. What about pressing movements? I imagine a modified bar would be more difficult to manage in a pressing movement rather than a pull. Well, that's interesting. I have very, I don't think I've ever seen anybody with a two-inch arm length discrepancy. Yeah, it's quite a bit. That'd be quite a bit to manage. She says, uh, he says that his wife and kids have a genetic bone disease called osteochondromatosis. Her calcium does not spread evenly as it should, and she gets calcium deposits that grow over time into nodules. Sometimes these nodules start rubbing against things they shouldn't. It's painful and only remedied through surgery. She enjoys exercise, but has always avoided barbell training and the preference of cable machines because she doesn't have to worry as much about symmetry with the cables. Is there any other advice you would give someone with such a bone disease and anatomical asymmetries who wants to start barbell training? Well, we deal with, with leg length discrepancies every day because they're very, very common. But a, an arm length discrepancy of two inches is, I don't think I've ever seen that. It's just not a, that's just not a common occurrence. Now, if she was going to deadlift, I would think that uh, you can buy a little handle to, to uh, or have one made that would uh, bolt onto the bar to even out that pulling length discrepancy. A press is going to be more difficult. Uh, oh God. Man, I don't know. It, in a situation so like that, that colors. might be the that might be one of the few reasons to do a dumbbell press instead of a instead of a barbell press, but that's going to be horribly asymmetrical. Uh, bench is going to be a similar problem. I'm assuming she can squat. 
for the deadlift, couldn't they just use a, some kind of a closed loop strap? Could, could, but if it's two inches, I mean, it's going to be down, no, way mean, down so, in the I tips mean, of her fingers. She strap like a suitcase. She could hold the strap like a suitcase, but it's, it's not going to feel as good as the same. What I would, if I was going to make something like that, to make a hook or something. I would no, I would not make a hook. I would make a clamp that clamps around the bar that has a handle that is the same diameter as the bar. Right. Yeah. So that it feels the same in each hand. I would have something like that made to deadlift. And I think in her situation, deadlifts and squats might be enough to do. If she wants to do some presses with dumbbells, that's fine. But dumbbell presses for people that haven't been training a long time are, are they're asymmetrical and you'll hit yourself in the head with the damn things. Uh, well, if they could, cl- if they could clamp a, the bar well enough, what would be the problem with pressing a bar and having an asymmetrical lockout. You know, I mean, if long, I, I don't guess it would be, bar, you know, I don't know. Uh, I've had no experience with that. Like I say, I, I have no idea. You may be able to get away with an unlevel bar at lockout. Uh, but if it starts to bother the shoulders and I can see how it might, it's going to want to go. It's going to want to, it's going to want to go to the down yeah. slope side, you know, it's gonna. You're just gonna have to be real careful with your lockout. All right. But uh, I would maybe not lock it all the way out. Just lock it out to the short arm and bring it back down. That could. That could be a an option. You know, or press in the pins. Yep. Press in the in the rack and push into the pins, and set the pin at the short arm lockout. You know, and that way you're not asymmetrical at the top, even though you've got an incomplete lockout on the long arm. Right. I don't know. That's a that's an interesting question. I have uh, never had to train anybody like that, so I don't really know. Okay, Mark, I'm 60 years old and been lifting, exercising most of my life. 15 months ago, I underwent a biceps tenodesis surgery where he reconnected my biceps tendon at the shoulder. So that would have been from a proximal avulsion. Several weeks after surgery, I had a horrible cramp and pain in my wrist when reaching for a sweatshirt. The doctor said that it was most likely some minor nerve damage from the surgery and it would go away. It hasn't. I can train for a month or so and everything will be fine and then it will happen again, mostly when I'm doing something as menial as putting my hands in my pockets. Never when I'm lifting. It's a very sharp, stabbing pain in the outside of my wrist and hand. I wonder what he means by that. Which way is his hand? Outside of his wrist and hand. Well, if he's in normal anatomical position, he's talking about the the thumb side of his hand because you're supine. But I don't know if that's what he means or not. Again, insufficient information. And after it happens, I'm useless for about a week and can barely flex my wrist. Have you ever heard of anyone having this after shoulder surgery? No, I have not. Closest thing I can find like it when I've searched the Internet is something that cyclists get called handlebar palsy. Uh, He's not a cyclist. Okay. Uh, Have you ruled out a wrist injury what makes you think that this injury is related to your shoulder surgery 
I see no mechanism by which it could be. I think the next time I got this this pain, I would go ahead and get an MRI prescription set up. And I think I would go right then and get an MRI on the wrist and see if there's something going on in the wrist because this does not sound like it's necessarily related to your shoulder surgery. Okay. Okay, here's a here's an interesting question. He's 63, weighs 210. He has an artificial leg. He's a below the knee amputee. I deadlift 220 easily, but struggle getting low enough on the squat because my left ankle is fixed at 90 degrees, and I get more unstable the lower I go. Once I tipped backwards with 132 on my back, which shocked everyone in the gym. Well. This is one of these questions that we get asked from time to time uh, that have to be addressed at the individual level. Anytime we're dealing with an amputee, uh, the circumstances of the injury and the circumstances of the prosthesis are always going to be different and are always going to require that we monkey around with things to get things accomplished. Now, it may be that in your particular situation, so you've got your below the knee amputee, so you've got the hamstring intact on, on the amputated leg. So you can pull. You can theoretically squat if the stump can handle the compression provided against the prosthesis. Uh, I am aware that they make mobile ankles for things like this. The the uh, our recent adventures in Afghanistan have have produced some advances in prosthetics technology, and there are available feet with some degree of ankle mobility. And it might be that you want to investigate the possibility of getting a better prosthesis than you've got right now. That would make squatting easier. But if that is not an option for you, then it could be that you have to deal with above parallel squats to a box. That may be how you handle this problem. But that's that's one of these things I can't tell you. You know, if one of the problems with writing a book about how to deal with injuries like this is that each time you deal with an injury, the evaluation has to be done for the individual. It's an extremely personal deal, and it's an extremely variable process because some people can tolerate things uh, that others people can't tolerate, and the Injury itself has to be evaluated individually. I don't think anybody will ever write a book that specifically details how you deal with each injury. You have to evaluate it in terms of the capabilities of the individual. And uh, that gets complicated. And finally, we've got a question from a lady by the name of Andrea. She's 58. 
Do, do we, we've had nothing but old people. Ancient. Yeah. Ancient. Everybody. Fossilized old crusty people. You know, the kind of people who wake up in the morning and their eyes are welded <laughs> shut because... Because of, their you know, <laughs> age is being secreted from their eyes there. at night. <laughs> Recently, I've started lifting weights according to your starting strength book. I am a 58-year-old female. I've just been told I need to see an ophthalmologist as my optometrist suspects I have glaucoma. I have been reading as much as I can find online about this disease and am concerned about holding my breath. What do you know about glaucoma and your powerlifting method? Well, I know that glaucoma is utterly and completely unrelated to Valsalva. Glaucoma is a chronic elevation of pressure in the eyes, and it has nothing to do with Valsalva. Now, your optometrist, being an optometrist, is not a doctor. Optometrists fit glasses. And that's all they do. They fit glasses. They can perform some. I mean, they can tell you if you got pink eye and they can write your prescription for some doxycycline. But complicated questions like glaucoma. They can detect glaucoma in the optometrist's office. But they're not equipped professionally to deal with that. And lots and lots of people who are equipped professionally to deal with it do not understand that the Valsalva maneuver does not contribute to glaucoma. They're not related. They're two completely separate things. Uh, if you have glaucoma, you need to go get it looked at because it's treatable. But it's got nothing to do with your training. Okay? So... Uh, once again, this is a situation where you, you shouldn't necessarily let uh, a healthcare professional tell you about strength training when they don't know anything about strength training. This is more often than not the case. I wish it weren't true, but that's the way things are. So I think we've pretty much demolished this pile of <laughs> Q&A for today. Boy, that coffee's horrible when it's cold. You know that? I bet it is. It, who made that coffee? Rusty or you? You did? Of course. It's kind of chewy. <laughs> Does that mean it's thick? Yeah, it's thick, Ugh. gravy-like. I like thick this is the coffee. barista. This is a professional. She likes thick things. <laughs> It's been a while since you've had a thick thing. <laughs> you don't remember, I don't think. Bree just gained 180 followers. <laughs> yeah, our numbers just went up. Okay. Well, all right, that's it for today's Q&A. We will, uh, you know, do this again sometime soon. Uh, you think of anything interesting to ask us. Send it into radio at startingstrength.com, and we'll look at it. We'll probably throw it away, but we might, we might keep it. And if we do keep it and read it, then you'll be famous, right? Bye.